You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 118. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week in our Your Stock Our Take segment, we start by taking a listener question on Canadian communication companies. Specifically, whether TELUS Corporation, symbol T on the TSX, is a good dividend growth investment at its current price. Our second Your Stock Our Take comes from a listener on Storage Vault Canada Inc., symbol SVI on the TSX Venture, which owns, manages, and rents self-storage and portable storage space to individual and commercial customers. A listener asks us our take on whether the stock remains a good growth opportunity. Finally, we look at our dog of the week, which is Nicola Corporation, NKLA on the NASDAQ, a stock which we took a hard pass on earlier this year when it was included as as a question in our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Nikola, which purportedly designs and manufactures battery electric and hydrogen electric vehicles, saw its founder, chairperson, and largest shareholder, Trevor Milton, step down amid allegations this week. Milton, the allegations that Milton hasn't exactly been truthful with investors. The stock dropped 20% on the day and is off 79% from its June highs. Let's dive right into the show again this week. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron. How are you two doing? Good. Salutations. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I I could ask the same about you. Um, You gave me a call last night. You weren't very happy. You saw a piece of news that Snap um, election. You took uh, took exception to Snap election. Yes. Yeah. No. It's uh, well. I mean, I'm not sure we need to be entering into an election during a pandemic or a shutdown. I'm not sure what the. Well, I think I am kind of convinced what the uh, impetus was behind it for political gain, likely rather than uh, for the population at, at large. But I'll let our listeners speculate on that. For the most part, I'm just not sure. Like I said, we need to be getting into an election about a year ahead of when the election would have been going forward and uh, taking uh, all, us all to the polls when we're supposed to be social distancing out there. So I'm not sure what the rush is. Any opinion there? You know, I agree, and um, I, I I don't necessarily think that the NDP did a, a bad job handling the COVID crisis here in BC, but certainly, you know, what I'm sure they're seeing is they're seeing the great numbers in BC really start to deteriorate basically on a daily and weekly basis, and they're trying to take advantage of what little capital they have left um, with respect to how they can handle the crisis, because of course, for a while, British Columbia was um, was certainly setting the standard for you know taking the best approach or at least having the best result with respect to COVID. Um, our numbers were you know some of the lowest um, through the province, 
yet now that is changing. So I'm sure he wants to have an election as quick as possible if he's foreseeing that it's going to continue to get worse going forward. And of course, this isn't really an investment discussion, but there are a lot of companies, say, in the resource space that would be impacted um, depending on who ends up winning the election or could be impacted. So it is worthwhile every now and then to to enter into the yeah, and it's discussion just, of politics. For me, it's a, and this is a side, it's a strange situation where a party that... Um, didn't get as many seats as even the Liberal Party did in the last uh, election and then shook hands with the Green Party, which they fought with throughout the full last election campaign uh, and formed a minority government, is able to just make a snap decision, a snap election within, you know, just over 30 days and, uh, you know, take advantage of some political gain they got out for handing some money. But that would be, you know, getting far too political for our show, I'm sure. Yes, we want to stick with things that help people manage their portfolios, build their portfolios, and be successful investing. And you know, we can we can go down the rabbit hole of politics uh, a long way. Yeah, we do get those questions anybody, all the time. So. I mean, in our chat when that was called, um, we you know get questions on whether or not uh, this influences anything in our, the portfolios. Um, we are loath to make decisions on based on political. Um, you know, elections, anything to do with somebody getting into power or predicting somebody, a party getting into power as, um, you know, often when they get in power, they can't enact everything that they had stated they can act or, you know, it's two or three years later and four years later, often they're out of power and the environment shifts. Uh, we like to have businesses that can function with any sitting government. Of course, there are some effects on some businesses. But um, if you're basing your entire portfolio on which government is in power at that given moment, you're likely either missing out on some great opportunities or just not positioning yourself uh, well over the long term. That should be uh, down the list in terms of what you focus on. Focus on the businesses before you focus on the political situation because often you cannot control the political situation. Which, you know, if you focus on things you cannot control, it's not good for your overall portfolio. Hey, Ryan, if I could just quickly interject here, uh, just in case if some people don't make it all the way through the podcast, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, we are giving away an offer where if you rate and review Keystone Stock Talk podcast on uh, iTunes... Uh, and you take a screenshot of that or a snapshot on your phone and send that to social uh, at keystocks.com. That is our email address. Again, social at keystocks.com. Uh, just send that snapshot over uh, and we will send you a free preview of our uh Canadian alternative energy reports, industry-related findings, which includes a, a table uh, that compares all of the uh, Canadian alternative energy producers uh, and their associated uh, valuation multiples. Um, so yeah, it's uh, definitely something that is of value. And if you take that screenshot, send it to our email at social at uh, keystocks.com, uh, you will get that preview for free. Yeah, just rate and review us on iTunes. Send in a picture, take a screenshot. Uh, we can send you off the industry-related section to our recent special report. So let's look at um, the our first Your Stock Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. 
That came in on, well, actually came in on just uh, communication companies in generally and specifically on TELUS. Uh, the, the, the listener asked a question on that company. Aaron, you're going to take this one. Sure. So when you look at the telecommunications sector in Canada, uh, it's essentially an oligopoly. There are three major players, BCE, Rogers, and TELUS. So TELUS has been our preferred company in that space. We did have coverage on it in our, in our income, income research many years in the past. Currently, we don't have coverage on it, but we have looked at the stock again over the years. We've looked at it a lot recently, and it could be something that we add back to our portfolio. So I'm going to focus mostly on TELUS in this discussion. Uh, so TELUS Corporation, the symbol is T on the TSX, trades at about $23 per share, and it's a $30 billion market cap company. As I said, TELUS is one of the three big telecom companies in Canada. It has 9 million mobile phone subscribers. That gives it a market share of about 30% of the wireless market here in Canada. TELUS also continues to provide wireline services in Western Canada, um, primarily BC and Alberta. This includes internet, television, and landline phone services. Uh, other, business, other business segments for the company include their telehealth segment, TELUS Health, international business services, and security. One of the reasons why I like TELUS over Rogers and Bell is because historically it has had better growth, is while Rogers and Bell have more exposure to media assets such as television stations and radio, in the case of Rogers, they own uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. TELUS, on the other hand, has expanded more into software services. A very interesting part of TELUS's business is TELUS Health, which is a provider of digital healthcare solutions, connecting patients and physicians through its mobile apps. We see long-term potential in the digital healthcare space, and this is especially relevant in the context of COVID-19. I have had a few concerns about the Canadian telecom sector in the past. One of these is that it's a fairly mature industry, and there's not really a lot of growth to divide among the three top players. The industry also always seems to be in the federal government's crosshairs. I remember even back uh, during the conservative reign under Harper, they implemented several policies in order to open up the market to more competition and reduce prices. The Trudeau government as well had stipulated some price controls uh, previous to COVID-19, which are supposed to take effect over the next three years. During COVID-19, we have seen a decline in earnings from all three of the big telecom companies. Over the long term, we do see some interesting growth drivers though. The launch of 5G is going to mean more traffic on the internet and through mobile devices, which should be a gradual boost for the telecom industry overall, as well people will be upgrading their phones to 5G. In the case of TELUS, we like the digital healthcare component. The company doesn't break out its financials for TELUS Health. It is currently, TELUS Health is currently a tiny part of the overall company. Still, I believe that they are the largest digital healthcare player in Canada, so there should be plenty of opportunity for growth over the next five to 10 years. All three of the major telecom companies pay nice dividends that are growing on an annual basis. TELUS currently yields 5% and it's targeting annual dividend increases of 7% to 10% per year. Telecom's an essential service, and generally speaking, we believe that these dividends are relatively secure, although, of course, this is never a guarantee. 
Looking at TELUS's recent financial performance and their most recent quarter Q2, TELUS reported total revenues of $3.7 billion, which were up 3.6% compared to last year. Adjusted net income declined 28%, which reflects the financial impacts of COVID-19. Last year in 2019, total revenues grew 2.5% and adjusted earnings per share were down 2.9%, essentially flat. The valuation on TELUS right now is about 20 times trailing earnings per share. In conclusion, I think that TELUS is a good company and certainly a stock that long-term income investors could consider owning. It pays a nice yield and the dividend is increasing. As I said previously, there has not been a lot of growth generated by the big telecom companies over the last few years. There are a few potential growth drivers upcoming for TELUS, but these are long-term in nature, and I certainly don't see any short-term catalysts that will move the stock meaningfully higher in the next 6 to 12 months. If you want to own TELUS, I would expect to hold the company for 5 to 10 years, look to collect the dividend, and over time, the company is well-positioned to produce a reasonable rate of return. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great... I had, you go. Yeah, well, I had no idea that they were, uh, they were in telehealth. That's uh, news to me, especially because uh, just as we did a little bit of a sweep of uh, over 300 companies in the LD500 um, or LD Micro 500, whatever conference it was called. <laughs> LD <laughs> Micro 500, that's right. Yes, yes, that is correct. Um, you know, and we came across a few telehealth and, you know, it's interesting to actually see that uh, TELUS is in that space. Um, you know, that's intriguing to me. Uh, you know, of course, not based on an investment uh, thesis, as you said, Aaron, but, uh, but yeah, news to me. Well, it's one of the reasons yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's interesting. It's, Go ahead, Ryan. Nobody wants me to talk. I'm just kidding. It's, it's, a good, <laughs> it's a good summary on TELUS. You're just figuring that out after all these years. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, It's Ryan. true. No, it hurts. No, but um, it hurts, but it's true. They uh, tell, It's a good summary on TELUS. I think that you know what's kept us out of that, the company for a few years has just been the lack of growth. I mean, it's a good business, pays a good dividend, but um, you know, when you're talking about three to four percent growth rates, uh, it's it it's just not it's just not providing the growth uh, that appreciating the shares, giving you capital appreciation outside of the dividend that we typically look for. But you know, there are some long-term growth drivers there, so we continue to manage or watch the company and see if uh, it uh, enters our coverage sometime over the next year or two. So let's look at our your stock our take, our second your stock our take of the show. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock. Our take: buy, sell, or hold. This comes in from Clay via Twitter. He says, "What is your take on Storage Vault Canada Inc. SVI and the TSX, I believe, venture?" Brennan, you've got this one. Yes. Yeah, so, Storage Vault Canada Inc. As you said, SVI on the TSX Venture Exchange, uh, currently trading at a price of three dollars and thirty-eight cents, with a market cap of one point two four billion and paying a slight yield of 0.3%. So Storage Vault Canada's primary business is owning, managing, and renting self-storage and portable storage space to individual and commercial customers. And the corporation also stores, shreds, and manages documents and records for its customers. And as at June 30th, 2020, the company owned over 74,000 self-storage and portable storage units and had a total of 8.3 million rentable square feet across seven provinces. 
So a few key points here is the storage industry in Canada is highly fragmented, uh, which supports their strategy of making acquisitions to consolidate the industry. In the company's MDNA, uh, they indicate that the Canadian storage market is estimated to be 90 million square feet. Uh, seeing that the company has 8.3 million rentable square feet, this provides Storage Vault with approximately 9% market share. Um, and, and something that I also wanted to just note is that the company is the exclusive supplier to Costco members across Canada, uh, meaning that the company has exclusive access to Costco's membership uh, base as a marketing channel. Now, I don't know exactly how they're marketing to them, but I do think that this is interesting and it would be uh, interesting to uh, dig a little bit deeper into uh, if we were looking uh, deeper in the company. So looking at the company's financials uh, for Q2 of 2020, uh, revenue was up 9.2% to $37.4 million compared to the same period last year. Adjusted funds from operation, or AFFO, was $10.5 million, an increase of 14.1% from $9.2 million in Q2 of 2019. And AFFO per share was $0.03 cents per share, up approximately 20% from around uh, two and a half cents in Q2 of 2019. So just looking at the longer uh, financial progress of the company over the past four fiscal years, uh, revenue has been growing very nicely, uh, where in the 2016 fiscal year, it came in at around 27.8 million, where in 2019, this grew to around 135 million. So great growth there. And then as well, AFFO per share has been growing nicely, where in 2016, it was around four and a half cents per share. In 2017, it was around seven cents per share. 2018, around nine cents per share. And 2019, around 10 cents per share. So from these annual figures, we can see that revenue has been increasing at a solid pace and AFFO per share has grown at an average rate of approximately 33% over the past four years. Now, because the company essentially invests in real estate, they do maintain a large amount of debt on its balance sheet with approximately $1.1 billion in debt, uh, providing the company with a net debt to EBITDA multiple of approximately 13 times, which is quite high. Uh, to, put this in to put this into perspective, the highest net debt to EBITDA multiple among reputable Canadian power producers in our Canadian Alternative Energy Report was approximately eight times. Now, of course, I am not comparing apples to apples here, but the point that I am trying to demonstrate here is that a net debt to EBITDA multiple of 13 times is something that would not meet our investment criteria and possibly raise some concerns. Now, on a relative valuation basis, the company is trading with a trailing enterprise value to AFFO multiple of around 31 times. And despite its solid growth in revenue and AFFO per share, uh, I believe that this multiple indicates the stock is trading at a premium uh, and possibly even overvalued. Now, our take, looking at the price action over the years, the stock has had a very impressive run up from 2015 to mid 2017, increasing over 400%, which of course was driven by the business's solid financial performance and an increase in AFFO per share of around 50% in 2017. But from mid 2017 to now, the stock really hasn't done too much, up around an additional 30% from the gains uh, that I highlighted earlier. So seeing that the growth has slowed in both top line revenue and on an AFFO per share basis, 
all while the company grows through acquisition, funded by debt, while its leverage ratios are getting to the upper end of where we would like to see them, and still trades at a relatively premium valuation, we do not have the stock under coverage. Although it is a good business with a great track record, as well as uh, a relatively defensive stock that pays a small yield, and there is a possibility that a large US-based storage company could acquire the business in the future, Essentially, it just isn't a name that we could uh, justify an investment thesis on. Now, my question for uh, Ryan or Aaron is, you know, looking at Storage Vault here, would it be kind of classified in the uh, the REIT category or would it be slightly different? Well, good, uh, what do you guys good question. Um, nowadays, it does pay a very small yield, 0.3%. So I suppose they could, you know, loosely classify themselves as a REIT. I mean, for for a while, they they weren't paying any dividend at all. Um, But a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, that is actually a very specific legal structure. So while it's a similar business, um, it, it is not actually a REIT. Um, Although it operates, you know, very in, in, in a very similar way. So certainly, you know, I was, I was listening to your, to your breakdown, um, 30 times AFFO trailing is definitely a premium. If I were to compare Storage Vault to, to other companies roughly in their space, I would definitely look at REITs. Um, so that is a premium valuation uh, in the REIT space, in the Canadian REIT space, certainly puts them up at the more expensive end of the range. But the debt is where I would actually be quite concerned here because I just, I'm just taking a quick look. Um, Brendan, I believe you said I, the, the total debt was over a billion dollars. Yes, 1.1. Yeah, and I believe yep. their total assets are only about 1.3 billion. So that, that's, that's a huge leverage ratio. With REITs, we look at mm-hmm. you know debt, debt to asset leverage ratio. We look at um, interest coverage ratios. And, but just, just, on the, uh, just on the debt to asset ratio, that, um, that looks quite high and quite leveraged. So that reason alone would probably dissuade me personally from recommending the company. Yeah, and, we, and we've looked at it for years. I mean, I think it's a, a great story here, and you talked about that, like consolidating what is a fragmented storage industry. Um, it's very fragmented. They're, they're 9 or 10% probably in that industry, so a good run rate to keep consolidating. So a good story. It's something potentially we'd want to participate in based on that. Uh, great revenue growth. You, you detailed that over the past four or five years, but it certainly has levered up the balance sheet to do so. So, um, you know, like we said, 31 times AFFO, it's trading at premium multiples. I mean, for me, it might be a time here. It's kind of been treading water in a share price for the past three years. It might be a time to use some equity to finance and potentially do an equity financing, pay off some debt. And maybe they make some further acquisitions. Um, it, I'm not sure how much more debt they can keep adding to the balance sheet on this company. So that's if you slow the growth when you have premium valuations, that doesn't necessarily lead to a good scenario. Uh, if they could, uh, you know, make a uh, do an equity financing with their trading at a premium, uh, use that to potentially lower the leverage ratios and you know grow forward via that route. Uh, you can't, in our opinion, in my opinion, at least, you can't just keep leveraging up with debt in a business like this. I think it should be a balance between some debt and equity in this situation. So maybe the company is looking at that right now. We're not sure. It's not the best times uh, to uh, to 
raise capital for some businesses. This may be one of them, and it might not be the best time, but it would be a solution potentially to the uh, leverage that you see in this business right now. So now the we're going to shift gears to our dog of the week. From our stars and dog segment, it's time for this week's dog. <laughs> Nikola Corporation, NKLA on the NASDAQ. Currently trading with a price of around $27.50. Its market cap is $10.4 billion. So what does Nikola do? Well, they operate as, a, as an integrated zero emission transportation systems provider. Uh, they design, manufacture electric and or battery electric and hydrogen electric vehicles and electric vehicle drivetrains, vehicle components, energy storage systems, and hydrogen fuel station infrastructure. Our key points here. Now, we were asked our take on Nikola earlier this year, and we took a hard pass on the company. The stock dropped 20% on Monday as its founder, chairman, and largest shareholder, Trevor Milton, stepped down amid allegations. He has not been completely truthful with investors. The allegations came via a short report, and the stock has cratered around 79% from its June highs. Now, let's look at the financial performance of the business. We'll take a quick look at this. Our look is very short and very sweet this time as there are no numbers to speak of, no revenues, and of course, course, no earnings. So we move on. In June, the company had a market cap of just under $30 billion based largely on pre-orders for trucks that don't even exist yet. Our conclusion here, there are a couple items to break down. Many would place the stepping down of Nikola's chairman, Trevor Milton, in the same category as Elon Musk stepping down from Tesla. Now, perhaps it is, but I would ask if we really should be comparing Nikola to Tesla. Other than the namesake, in terms of financial performance, they have nothing in common. Say what you want about Elon Musk. He's managed to do something that Milton hasn't yet manufacture and actually sell cars. So switching gears, we uh, there have been cases of CEOs stepping down amid controversy in the past and the company moving forward well. Uh, the CEO of Uber, for example, stepped down amid complaints of discrimination and sexual harassment at the company, and Uber has moved on reasonably well. The difference here, Uber is the world's largest ride-hailing app and has the sales to prove it. Nikola has none. So can you see a pattern here? Milton's resignation or not, scandal or no scandal, Nikola is not investable based on our criteria. You want to stop exposing yourself to massive 50 to 70% plus losses? Stop investing in companies with massive market caps and zero revenues. And that makes Nikola our dog of the week. So I got to tell you, the first time I encountered Nikola, I, I was highly suspicious about the company just to begin with, because, of course, Tesla is named after Nikola Tesla, who was a who was a scientist, um, and he's most known for uh, the design of modern alternating current electrical supply systems. So very, very famous scientist engineer. Um, and then Nikola comes along, and rather than finding an original name for themselves they just take the first name nikola and i just found that to be very it's fairly impressive right? yeah and yeah. then when i, I mean, found out they didn't even have any revenue and they had a 30 billion dollar market cap that pretty much that that pretty much put the nail in the coffin with respect to my feelings on the company 
I mean, there's some partnerships that the company has signed most recently. Like GM took apparently 11% stake in the business. I'm wondering if some of those deals they might look at back on and look back on like some of the pot or large U.S. companies, large uh, beverage industry companies uh, investing in some of the pot companies. Well, at least those companies had sales, though. But uh, some look back and regret those. There's some regrettable investments from some large companies in some hot industries in the past. Uh, Will we see it here? Um, You know, taking billion dollar stakes in uh, businesses that have no sales and are promising, uh, you know, just based on making written pre-orders is is really, (laughs) I'm not sure why these companies feel the need to do that. Uh, It it really seems strange that like a GM would get involved in a business like this uh, at such an really an early stage when you just have pre-orders and at billions of billions of dollar valuations. Sometimes, you know, I shake my head at that and, and I'm going to shake my head at this this time and just say that Tesla from our perspective, or Nikola, sorry, from our perspective right now is just uninvestable. It has been since, you know, it was trading at almost a $30 billion market cap when we said, yeah, this company is, you know, we had a your stock our take and just said flatly, it's not investable. So I'm not sure. Uh, why people feel the need to uh, get on to these companies, um, invest invest hard-earned, hard-earned dollars, their hard-earned dollars in companies that just really have no underlying fundamentals. It's If you keep doing that and you position your portfolio with 15 or 20 stocks that have no underlying fundamentals, no revenues, no earnings, uh, you're not going to do well in your portfolio over the long term. That's going to finish off our show for this week. I'd like to thank uh, our listeners for sending in questions to our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Keep those questions coming in. You can also send in questions, any financial questions, to our Ask Us Anything segment, and we'll endeavor to answer those questions. This week, we'd also like you to go out and rate and review our uh, podcast on iTunes. And if you send in a, a, a review of that, take a snapshot of that on your computer or take a snapshot of that on your phone, email it to us or reach out to us on social media. We can send you off the industry-related section to our recent special report on the Canadian Renewable Power segment. It'll include a table on all renewable Canadian energy stocks in Canada, as well as their multiples. So if you send that out, we'll send you the industry-related section uh, for no additional charge if you rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, and the email address to send that into is social at keystocks.com. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Brennan and Aaron, and I wish you all profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thanks, everyone.